here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the brand new Las Vegas Raiders. This is the Raiders Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Raiders Wire editor Marcus Mosher. Okay, Marcus, 10.5-point dogs at kickoff. The Raiders meet with the Kansas City Chiefs, agree to a shootout, and win the ballgame 40-32, to handing the Chiefs their first loss of 2020. Raiders are 3-2, and only a game back in the AFC West behind those Chiefs. That's pretty sweet. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still stunned, right? We Last week, you know, you asked me if the Raiders had any chance to win that game, and I told you no. And today we're going to be talking about how they pulled off one of the bigger upsets of the year. Not only did they beat Kansas City, but they beat them in Arrowhead. That just doesn't happen very often to an Andy Reid team. Nope. So uh, pretty, pretty impressive win for the Raiders. And I think that now I, I think that has to start changing the um, the expectations for this Raiders team. Right. I love no longer. That, yeah. are they, I say no longer. Are they just a, a fun competitive team. We've got to start talking about them as a legit potential playoff team in the AFC. Correct. Correct, and and no longer am I going to uh, bet the Chiefs to cover ten and a half points. I'm never, I'm never <laughs> going to do that again, Marcus. I gotta, I gotta uh, admit to that one. I screwed that one up. My God, no, I mean, I think we play. all did, right? All of us that yeah. threw uh, the Chiefs in a money line or a teaser. Uh, yeah, we're all, we're all hurting this week. Well, and I did it, and I did it. But straight up, best win of Derek Carr's career. I mean, he threw it down the field with accuracy. We've been begging him to do it. He finally agreed to do it, right? And and man, I, I think I think you wrote about it. Best win of his career. Yeah, I mean, he started off with a, an early interception, and we all just kind of rolled our eyes saying, here we go again. But he bounced back. Uh, he started throwing the ball down the field. He made plays when it mattered. Uh, you know, we talked about not settling for field goals where they get in the red zone. They only did that once. For the most part, they were excellent once they got down in there. Um, yeah, I think this is Derek Carr's biggest win. Um, he has beaten Kansas City before, but... Uh, to do it against this team with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid on the sidelines, uh, yeah, I think this is definitely his biggest win. Yeah, my favorite part was that Mahomes was kind of running for his life. He was he was running all over yeah. the place trying to play hero ball, and why? Why was that? Because the Raiders got some pressure in the backfield. Oh, my God, we've been waiting for that, Marcus, right? 32 pressures. Oh, 32 whoa, pressures. 32, I didn't even see that. Yeah, 32 pressures on 40 dropbacks for Patrick Mahomes. Um, uh, Cleveland Farrell, I just want to shout him out real quick. Uh, going into this game, he never had more than three pressures in a game. He had nine on Sunday. I mean, he was incredible. Max Crosby made some plays. Uh, he brought down Mahomes late in the fourth quarter. So uh, this defensive line that was going through a bunch of injuries with no Malik Collins, um, Reese Hurst on the COVID list, uh, they got it done on Sunday. So kudos to those guys and Rob Marinelli. No doubt. I mean, because... The Kansas City Chiefs, what they want to do is hit some big plays, start getting downhill on you, get you on your heels, and just destroy you, right? And they just couldn't do that. It just seemed like, man, the Chiefs had to work for stuff more than we're used to seeing. So, absolutely, huge kudos to uh, the Raiders' D. Four tackles for loss, three sacks. They only had four in the first four games. So that was sweet. And then I think, Marcus, we saw, we saw the difference that Henry Ruggs makes when he's on the football field and his speed. And I don't know if Carr is able to do what he did throwing it downfield without rugs. 
No, Ruggs is a huge part of this offense. Now, he the, the box score isn't always going to indicate his impact. In this one, it did. He did have two catches for 118 yards. But he's just somebody who can make plays down the field. He can stretch the field, and that opens up things for everybody else, including you know some of the complimentary guys like Nelson Aguilar had a big game in this one, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs. So uh, having somebody on the field like him, who John Gruden says, you know, you have to defle- you have to defend every blade of grass that's out there when when Henry Ruggs is on the field just completely changes their entire offense. And you said it. They did come in with that aggressive mindset. We were begging them to do that last podcast episode. We said, don't settle for field goals. And they did on that first drive. And I, I mm-hmm. stopped myself from tweeting it, Marcus. I'm like, no, I'm going to give them a chance. I'm not going to tweet it yet. Oh, I tweeted it. Don't oh, worry. You, did. I, I, you, I, did. <laughs> you tweeted it. Uh, and some Raiders fans even were coming back at us and like, they better not kick field goals, bro. They better yeah. not. You know, so uh, I, I held off and I got to shout out Gruden and the coaching staff because they were more aggressive. Gruden had that hilarious comment in the post game about, you know, maybe PFFs, the, the the next gen stat people will be uh, scratching their heads or whatever it was, right? Because cars thrown down the field now. Uh, yeah, you know, good for them. They knew what they had to do and they actually followed through and didn't play really conservative like we have come to expect with this team. Yeah, and the the, the great thing about this win is they really needed one since Gruden has become uh, the coach. Oftentimes, when they've played good AFC opponents. Not only have they lost, they've gotten blown out. And Kansas City is certainly at the top of that list of teams that really haven't taken the Raiders very seriously because why would you under this new John Gruden era? Um, they needed this win to show that, hey, we are real contenders. We've got real talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, if everything starts to click, watch out because the Raiders could be it could be a dangerous team in the AFC, you know, come December and January once they start to get a little healthier as well. No doubt. If they, if they figure this thing out and their offense has always been really good, uh, I love it. I love it. So good stuff. I love it. We're off and running here on the podcast. And obviously the Raiders have a bye week, right, Marcus, here? They're yep. a chance to get rested. So we don't have a game to talk about or break down for next week, but there's plenty of stuff going on in the league. And Marcus is super knowledgeable. He knows what's going on in the NFL. So I'm going to throw I'm going to throw some questions at you, Marcus. I didn't even send these to you. So you're going to be right, on the hot seat. I'm going to send I'm you ready. Some, I'm going to send you some questions. That's how we'll spend the next couple segments. Five questions with Marcus Moser. I'm looking forward to that. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. Corey Bonini with thehuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week six. Miami Dolphins quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick has staved off Tua Tonga-Vailoa for now. Two quarterbacks have posted at least 32 fantasy points in five games against the Jets. And the other three quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, Phillip Rivers, Brett Rippon. Not exactly elite company. If wide receiver Preston Williams continues to come to life like we saw signs of last week, Fitz could be in for a huge fantasy day. Arizona Cardinals running back Chase Edmonds, not Kenyon Drake, has been the more productive back this year in PPR scoring. Drake may have scored on the ground last week, but he has struggled to generate yardage per touch, and he's living off an extremely small sample size of productive play from last season. Not only has Edmonds been more productive on the ground, he's simply more useful in the passing game. Look for him to exploit a weak Dallas defense. Cincinnati Bengals rookie receiver T. Higgins should see an uptick in his work if A.J. Green's hamstring prevents him from playing. Look for the rookie to continue his nice rapport with quarterback Joe Burrow. The Indianapolis defense may appear 
to be a poor matchup on the surface, but a closer examination reveals six different receivers have scored a touchdown, and eight players at the position have gone for at least 10 PPR points. Higgins offers major upside in the red zone. If you're looking to take a gamble at tight end with four teams on their buys, the Atlanta Falcons present a brilliant matchup for Kyle Rudolph of the Minnesota Vikings, who is actually tight end Irv Smith Jr. and not Rudolph, who led the way last week, but the veteran tight end is a better bet for a touchdown in the red zone. No team has given up more touchdowns to the tight end position through five weeks than the Atlanta defense. For more fantasy football news and advice, make sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, Marcus. So I know you're a big Cowboys fan. Uh, the weight of that moment when Dak broke his ankle was felt by any fan who was watching. It was just super heavy listening to Tony Romo commentate on it. The fact that Jason Garrett was standing there, too. It was just so, so freaking heavy. And then watching him get carted off with tears in his eyes. It was just it just stops you in your tracks. Right. I mean, it's just, it was horrible. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many different angles we could look at this. And I know a lot of people are looking at it from the contract standpoint of, you know, the Cowboys not getting a long term deal done with him this offseason. Uh, but there's so many other things to talk about and why it's it's such a tough injury. Prescott had a really rough off season. Uh, he, he lost one of his brothers. He was battling some depression and he, he talked about uh, mental illness and being able to overcome that. So to go out and start to dominate in the first four and a half games of the season and put up record numbers and then to get hurt early in the season. And, you know, now he's got to have a four, six, eight month rehab. Uh, it, it's just, it just, I mean, it's 2020 sucks, man. It I does. think that's what we all can no say. Doubt. 2020 is just the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst. And, uh, you know, to your point, as you as you alluded to, that was where, you know, obviously we're going to be throwing some questions at Marcus here in this segment. And that was my question. Like, if you're Dak now, right, you're going to you, obviously he's got access to, you know, the best health care in the that you're going to get. So he's I expect him to come back. I know what kind of person he is and, and I know the drive he has. I, I would expect him to come back from this. Right. Absolutely. So, so when, da- when Dak comes back, here's the question. When Dak comes back. Would you work with Dallas on an extension again, try to revisit those contract negotiations after the season, or would you force them to put the boosted franchise tag number on you or go to market? What do you, what would you do if you're in Dak's shoes here? Yeah, I think what's ultimately going to happen is I do think they're going to put that franchise tag on them just as a placeholder. And then they're going to use next couple months to ultimately get a long-term deal done. I think the thing that gets lost here is, Dak Prescott wants to be in Dallas. I mean, he loves the Cowboys. He grew up as a Dallas Cowboy fan. Uh, this system is perfect for him. He's got a head coach and offense coordinator that are designing the perfect offense to to get him uh, to be productive. Uh, they've got a ton of talent at a wide receiver. They're going to play in national TV games nearly every week. And the Cowboys want him here as well. So I do think long-term something is going to get done. It didn't get done this offseason because Dak wanted to bet on himself. And I think in some ways he was right. Look at the numbers he would have put up this season or that he was putting up before the injury. 6,000 passing yards. Right. He knew the kind of season he was going to have. And I think, I mean, even though it was only four, again, four and a half games, we know what kind of quarterback Dak is. They'll pay him. He'll be in Dallas long term. I have no questions about that. All right, so here's a super hypothetical. So in, in a crazy world where maybe the Cowboys aren't feeling putting that huge franchise tag on Dak and he does somehow get to free agency, right? And you're the Raiders. You're the Vegas Raiders, Ooh. 2021 NFL free agent class, and you're looking at it and you have a healed up Dak Prescott. You have a rejuvenated Cam Newton on the market and you have a spurned Jimmy Garoppolo who the who Kyle Shanahan has kicked out of San Francisco. 
Are you going all in on one of these guys, or are you saying, look what Derek Carr just did against the Kansas City Chiefs. He wants to be here. He wants to be the face of the franchise. We're going to stay with Derek Carr. Like, what would your mindset be in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think Derek Carr is having a fantastic season. I think this could arguably be the best of his career. But you go get Dak Prescott if he's available. <laughs> I, I mean, I he's, he's just a better quarterback. You mentioned a team, though, I actually think is a better fit for, for Dak than, than the Raiders. And I think it's the 49ers, right? If Jimmy Garoppolo is done, if he's done and they decide to move on, can you imagine Prescott in that Kyle Shanahan offense with all the bootlegs and all the rollouts? Nope. Uh, It'd be scary. It, it, it would be terrifying. I, I I hope for the rest of the NFC that that doesn't happen because uh, they would be legit Super Bowl contenders once again, real, real fast. Maybe it would all work out. You know, Dak goes to the Niners. Maybe Cam Newton goes to the Cowboys and Jimmy G there comes home to Belichick. A little quarterback carousel right <laughs> yeah. there, right? That'd Who be knows? fun. Who knows? Who knows? No. But I think Dak's going to end up in Dallas because, just an aside, the Cowboys can't go and sign another quarterback and let Dak go after no, all this. It, they just won't. The optics of that would be terrible. And the thing is, the team would almost revolt around them. You saw exactly. the way the that they, they – yeah, and not only just the Cowboys, but the NFL. They just love Dak. Yep. Uh, you see how easily um, he is to root for. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're not – there's no way they're going to let Dak ever hit free agency. It's just not going to happen. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so this is looking like – a ridiculous wide receiver draft class, this 2020 mm. draft class, right? Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. C.D. Lamb is a freaking superstar over in Dallas. Oh, my God. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. Jerry Judy in Denver. Brandon Ayuk in San Fran. T. Higgins in Cincy. Rugs. Like, we could go down the list. I mean, this is a loaded dra- uh, rookie class. Mm-hmm. If we were to, like, get a time machine and go ahead into the future five years, like, who do you think when we redraft this group, who do you think is going to be the guy in five years that we're looking at as, like, maybe the next DK Metcalf, like the guy that just stands alone above the group and we're like, wow, that's the guy. If we could redraft these guys, this would be number one. Yeah, I still think it's CeeDee Lamb, and I think that should have been the, the number one pick, you know, or the top receiver drafted in April's draft. I just think his combination of size, speed, and toughness, you saw on Sunday, him being able to go down the seams, make an incredible athletic catch, and then get drilled and pop right back up. It's, it's just what makes him such a, a special player. I do want to mention Chase Claypool, who, you know, was a second-round yes. pick in this class. Yes, I should have, I should have included him after yeah, that game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we talk, want to talk about DK Metcalf. This is a guy that has very similar similar size and athleticism, you know, at six foot four, 230 pounds, uh, ran, I believe a four, four, one at the NFL combine. Uh, you put him in an offense with Juju Smith Schuster and Deontay Johnson. Uh, I think the, the Steelers are just figuring out how to use a guy uh, of his, you know, skill set. very reminiscent of another former Steeler receiver, Martavis Bryant. You know, that's a guy that Pittsburgh figured out how to use, you know, in the screen game down the field. Would not be surprised if uh, he leads Pittsburgh in all receiving categories as soon as this year. I mean, he, he's going to be an absolute star. Maybe the only team that can rival the Cowboys with their wide receiver group is the Steelers. They just, man, they just reload, they just turn reload, them out. reload. Oh, my God, it's unbelievable. It's unreal. So, all right, this is fun. I'm having a good time with this segment. Uh, we're going to pick it up here coming up. First, here's some sports betting advice from the Sportsbook Wire. We'll be right back. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet on the Week 6 Sunday night football game between the Los Angeles Rams and San Francisco 49ers. The Rams, minus 3.5 favorites on the road. 49ers, plus 160 underdogs on the money line. 
a low over under for this one of 50.5 points. Jeff, how do you feel about this game? Oh, I'm going with the home team in prime time. San Francisco needs this game like blood to keep pace in a tough NFC West. They're obviously very familiar with the Los Angeles Rams. And three in the hook is just too many points for the home dog. You know what? I'm going to fade the team that just lost 43-17 to the Miami Dolphins in week five. Give me those L.A. Rams coming off a big 30-10 win against the Washington football team. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to BetSlip and Podcast. Be sure to rate and review. Okay, Marcus, the Raiders come out of their bye week with the following schedule. Home versus Brady and the Bucks, On the road against a much-improved Browns team. And then at the Chargers against this young stud, Justin Herbert, right? Mm. Then they're at home against the Broncos before the Chiefs come to town in Week 11. Do you think the Raiders are still above 500 when they play the Chiefs again? And will they ultimately be an AFC playoff team in 2020? I do think they will be. You look even uh, after that schedule. They've got they've got a you know pretty soft schedule with the Falcons and the Jets and the, the Broncos and Chargers twice. You look at the early season schedule here with some of the games they've played. We were thinking if they could get out of there two and three, they'd give themselves a great chance of making the playoffs. Uh, now sitting at three and two at the bye week, you know, as great as Tom Brady has been, he's starting to look his age a little bit there in Tampa Bay. Cleveland will be an interesting matchup because of what they can do on the ground. But I, I just think this Raiders team is going to be good enough to get to nine wins. Sounds about right. Nine, nine and seven, maybe 10 and six. And that should be good enough for a wild card spot. Hey, I, I caught that little dig at Brady. I, I heard that. Marcus. <laughs> Easy there. Yeah, that's Tampa Bay's fault. What are they doing to my quarterback? What are oh, they doing to my guy? And that, that's a whole, we can do 20 minutes on that. I mean, next I don't week. Know. We'll have time to fill next week coming off the bye. We'll do it next week. <laughs> yeah, he just, yeah. Let's, let's save it for next week. Maybe things will change this week. Hundred percent. Raiders are playing the Bucks next week, so we'll have plenty to talk about there. Question five with Marcus. Here we go. The NBA built a bubble at Disney World and got all the way through the playoffs, culminating with your guy LeBron's fourth <laughs> title in the Lakers' seventeenth championship all time. Commission Adam Silver is getting all the love in the world. It's well deserved. Marcus, what should the NFL have done while preparing to play a sixteen game season in playoffs during the pandemic? Did they get it wrong? Yeah. First of all, LeBron is a go. Please do not at me on Twitter. We don't even have to have a conversation. I'm anymore. a LeBron guy uh, too. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's so difficult because I know a lot of people were saying that the NFL should have done a bubble, but the sheer numbers compared to the NBA are just drastically different when you're talking about 53 man rosters and then 16 players on practice squads and all the coaching staffs. And it's not like in the NBA where for the most part, the 12 players in your team are the 12 players. We get tons of injuries. You know, the Cowboys are already on 65, 66 players on their active roster. It's just almost too many people to do an NFL or, you know, an NFL bubble. Yep. But maybe we have one for the postseason, right? If all these teams get to the playoffs and we have 14 teams in the playoffs, maybe you have one bubble in Dallas, one bubble in, I don't know, somewhere on the East Coast for the AFC, and you just try to keep those guys healthy for three, four weeks to get the playoffs done. But it, it's tough, man. I, I don't know if there's any you know good solution for the NFL, but uh, they're trying their best. They're trying to figure out ways to tweak the schedule around to make, get these games played. But I would not want that job of Roger Goodell trying to figure all this out no yeah and then i can tell you waking up on a sunday morning and finding out your team isn't playing is just ridiculous <laughs> it's brutal and you we can't have that in the playoffs so i get what you're saying it's like power through the regular season figure it out if you got to keep changing the schedule every single freaking week we've got to keep playing on tuesday nights we'll just figure it out and do it but we got to figure out in the playoffs we have to have a schedule and we got to stick to it yeah in the playoffs would be a little bit easier too right because you're yeah. only keeping some teams for a week 
10 days or whatever, right? So you can get rid of 200 people every single week from the conference. So I do think that's plausible. I think the NFL is looking into it. I would not be surprised if that's ultimately the, the way they decided to do this. All right, man. That was fun. Thanks, Marcus. Enjoy the bye week, my man. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Much needed. <laughs> no doubt. Thanks for joining us on the Raiders Wire podcast. We'll be back next week to break down the Raiders game with the Bucks. We'll talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.